Good morning. I was uh, thinking it was going to be a little bit longer, so I wasn't really prepared. I also wasn't prepared. I was thinking today I was just going to come and talk about something from God's Word, and Pastor Bob said, I got to give an update. So I kind of folded things together this morning. And why don't you, uh, is John up there? Can you turn on the thing that I put together very rapidly this morning? This is um, Africa. It's a monstrous continent. And if you'll see up on the left, there is two Guineas, Guinea-Bissau and Guinea. And I am in Guinea. And there you go. And Conakry, Guinea, it is a French-speaking country, around 13 million people, uh, 90% Islamic, 10%, well, the rest of the, it's uh, almost everybody is animist, but that's a whole different thing. So some are exclusively animist, and maybe about 5% are Christian. And of that 5%, maybe 1% are evangelical Christian. The rest are nominal Catholics. So then we have another slide of Zerichor. Zerichor is down on the right hand. Uh, okay, so this is the second largest city of the country, Conakry being the first. This is a two-day drive away from Conakry. Lovely roads. It'll uh, jar your teeth out to get there. So again, there's like 70 mosques in this city. And we are, there's another slide after that. We are outside of the city of Zerikori between, if you'll see on the right, there's a place called Lola. And uh, about three miles outside of the city of Zerikori is where we started a Hope Clinic 20 years ago this year. And we see between 180, between 80 and 130, 40 people a day at Hope Clinic. Go ahead. So here's kind of uh, some of the pretty parts of Guinea. I, th I think Guinea is beautiful. Go ahead. And here is our modern agriculture. Most people don't even have this. This was last year, just over the wall from our newest clinic. And uh, this is plowing. And uh, they're going to plant some beans. The pastor that's in the town used these people to, uh, he hired these cows to uh, plow. Okay, go ahead. Here's some of our wildlife. Uh, another wildlife, we have uh, boa constrictors. So those are not fun. I don't have a picture of them because they're not fun. But uh, last year, we have a local missionary and he raises cows. So the, uh, the boa constrictor came and ate one of the calves. So they're big, they're big, big snakes. Go ahead. Next, yeah. Okay. Oh, and this is the guy that had uh, his calf eaten by the cows. I didn't even see it. So one of the things that we're doing is building wells. This year we've uh, dug four. And a lot of people get sick because of... Uh, bad water. So we've, we uh, do a lot of well digging. And here's another one we did last year. Go ahead. 
So this year, this was my excuse of why I didn't put up a PowerPoint. Uh, two weeks ago, we were in Liberia. We were doing the guy in the second chair back to the, the right there. He started a new church work four years ago this year, and they built this building. And so we went in there to pull teeth as a way of doing evangelism. And this pastor takes their name, and uh, then he will do follow-up. So it's kind of a way to reach out to our community and help people. It sounds brutal, but hey, when you got a bad tooth. So there's the worship service a couple Sundays ago. It's kind of a cool congregation. Go ahead. So this is our second clinic. The big clinic is uh, about two and a half hours away from this, and this is couple weeks ago and the rain started falling so the flowers came out and I like flowers. So this is, uh, we have like um, 13 people that work here. They only see around 15 to 25 people a day so far. Uh, this next month will be their first year of being open and uh, we are building a new building because um, this is only outpatient. So we can't really hospitalize people. Go ahead. Here's uh, some more uh, pictures of the newest clinic that we're doing. And we just got a couple, we got uh, like 10 beds. And this is, uh, we're going to start hospitalizing people. Next. And we broke ground last month. And we are going to put in uh, a couple of uh, operating rooms and a lab, and uh, where they're at right now is going to be where 10 beds, a ward of, two wards of 10 beds each. So that's what we're doing now. And I think that's it. Yeah, there you go. Thank you so much for uh, your participation. I love the worship this morning. This morning I want to talk about uh, prayer. And uh, we live in an anxious age. There are lots of troubles. And a lot of people, when you, well, if you aren't anxious, all you have to do is turn on the news and then you'll get anxious. So uh, I don't think, I know God does not want us to live in anxiety. But there are many things in our lives that trouble us, our kids, our finances, our health, it can go on, our politics, our morality that is running off the cliff downward. So we can get anxious. And uh, today, I want us to go to uh, Philippians 444 to kind of start us off on a cure for anxiety. And it's one of my favorite verses. And I think I'll start with verse 4. There's a cure for anxiety. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say, I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And here it is. Do not be anxious about anything. 
And what is the cure? But in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, My desire this morning is to call out a group of people that will pray for this nation. And again, I did not come thinking to promote Hope Clinic. I thought, now I get to just preach or talk to you about the importance of prayer. And our nation, there are lots of people that have solutions to the problems of our nation. But I think we need to be a church that is called to pray. And I would hope that God would speak to you this morning about becoming more and more involved in prayer. In other words, simplifying your lives so that you have the time to pray. I know Cassie talked about being busy, and in her household I can understand being busy. But there are things that we can do, most of us, to simplify living so that we have more time to pray, and my desire is for that to happen. I had a call to prayer many years ago. I had been on the mission field for a year and a half or two years, and I was home and discouraged because I went to the mission field all fired up, thinking I'm going to change the world and everybody's going to know about what God has done through me and all that mess. But the reality was I went there, the missionaries were fighting with each other. That was unexpected. I did not think that would happen. The church was fighting with the missionaries. Missionaries were fighting with the church. The church was fighting with each other. And when there's a lot of fighting, there's not a lot of spirit. So it was a mess. So I wasn't sure that I wanted to go back into that mess. And I was um, sitting right over here someplace. And a man that I'd never seen or heard of, I don't even know his name, he began to prophesy. And uh, for me, that was new. And I don't have the gift of prophecy this morning. I wish I did. Otherwise, I'd call some of you into uh, prayer. And he said, you, 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 stand up. So I looked around, thinking somebody else. And he kept pointing at me. He said, stand up, stand up. So I stood up and he said, God is calling you to get up early in the morning and seek me. I will do something for you that you have never seen before. I will call you into a mighty ministry in the name of Jesus. So I have made that uh, part of my life, getting up early in the morning and seeking. And I think it is a key to Christian living. It is a key to changing our world. For some reason, God does not 
do what he has the ability to do without us calling on him. We can change the world if we will grab God's hand and pray according to his will. The world can change. And a lot of us grow up in church not really believing that. We pray because we're supposed to, because it's a ritual, because uh, it's part of being religious, but we don't really expect change. And because we don't expect it, it doesn't happen. My cry to you today is that we can change our world. The first thing that needs to happen if we commit to being men and women of pray, prayer is found in James 4, 1 through 5. I'm going to read it. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. That's prayer, asking God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And number five, or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? That's pretty cool. God puts his spirit in us, or he puts our spirit in us with the desire that we will desire him. We are created for communion with God. And that's what prayer is. Line up your will with God's will. And when you pray, God will answer. God will do incredible things through you. You will change your world. Believe it. Psalm 2 I want us to go there. I lost my Bible someplace in all my travels, and so I'm doing electronic. So this is new for me. Psalm 2. This is really a psalm written for Jesus but it sounds like something written for us today. 
Why do the nations conspire and people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. And if you can think about modern day newspapers, the articles that are happening, the leadership that we have in the world, it sounds like today. Let us break off every religious shackle. We don't want anything to do with God. Separation of church and state. All of that. May God not be involved in anything in our world. The one enthroned in heaven laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes him in his anger and terrifies him in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. That is a prophecy that was fulfilled when Jesus came on the earth. And number eight was for Jesus, but is also for us. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. May we learn to take refuge in him through prayer. And I would say, may we learn to ask God for the nations. The scripture says in the last days before the return of the king, that all nations will hear of Jesus. There are people groups, there are places where Jesus is not known. And it's almost impossible to get there. But we can pray. And where we pray, God's Spirit can go. There are many dangerous places, but God is there. And God wants us to pray for those nations. May your inheritance not be your house, your bank account, whatever you're going to pass on to your kids. May your inheritance be a nation, a people group. Adopt a people group. Find out a people group that is unreached and begin to pray for them. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. You can adopt in prayer a nation, a people group. And when you get to heaven, that inheritance will be there. Uh, E.M. Bounds, those of you that get my newsletters know that I'm a big fan of E.M. Bounds. He's always talking about prayer. And my goal is every month to put something about prayer at the beginning of my newsletter. Because I believe 
it is so important for us to pray. He says the generals in God's army are the best askers. I think that's pretty cool. May we be generals in God's army. And may we ask according to his will. That which is on his heart becomes what is on our heart. And then we, we ask what is on our heart because it's already on his heart. He will make it happen. That's pretty cool. Let us learn how to ask. Being a man or a woman or a young person of prayer is not an exclusive club. You don't need a diploma. You don't need a theological degree. You don't need to be a certain age. You don't have to even be healthy. All you have to do is become an asker and a worshiper. As we entered, you are privileged. This church is so privileged because you have a great worship group leader. I don't know the right word for it. But easy for you to come in here and enter into the presence of God and begin to worship and begin to thank God and to begin to ask Ask of me, and I will give the nations as your inheritance. So a few more scribbles that I wrote down. It doesn't seem like uh, Jesus spent a lot of time praying in the temple, and I think it's because it would have been so distracting for other people. But it was his desire that his house would be called a house of prayer. And as you look in uh, Luke 19, when he went in and overturned the tables, most of us that have grown up in church know that story. He went in, he overturned the tables, and he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And in Luke 2, there are very, two very interesting characters that appear. And this was when Jesus had just arrived on the earth. He was eight days old, according to his flesh. He was eternity, according to his spirit. This was God in the flesh. This was Emmanuel. And he was carried in his mother's arm, into the temple to be circumcised. And I want us to go there. Luke 2. Okay, so I got to find it here. So uh, let me start with verse 20. This is right after Jesus had been born in the stable. And the shepherds were told by an angel to go worship. And they returned glorifying and praising God. 
for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time for to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So from Bethlehem to uh, Jerusalem, and I don't know the exact distance, but I looked it up on a map. So it was between four and seven miles. They walked on the eighth day with this child to present Jesus to the priest to circumcise him. This was after 400 years. This is what the theologians, theologians call the 400 silent years between Malachi and Matthew. Nothing had really happened for 400 years. No visitations, no miraculous things were written down that we know of. But we find two people that God was using. So in verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. The man was a man of prayer. And even though that it had been silent for 400 years, according to scripture, God was still speaking to individuals. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many of Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. That turned out to be true. That was prophetic. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of I'm going to get this wrong, Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Amazing. I often think about, uh, well, I don't like, I've started thinking about retirement just because our mission is talking about it. And uh, I don't like thinking about it. I don't think it's 
biblical to retire. Anyway, I think we're supposed to work for the Lord until the day that uh, we are taken. And uh, I think it would be cool if there would be people that would be like Anna and Simeon that say, my retirement is not going to be a golf course in Florida. My retirement is going to be near the house of God, some place that is open for me to be in the house of God anytime I want and give me a key so that I can go and pray and fast anytime. I think that's a great way to retire in the Lord. And I don't think you have to retire in order to pray. I think any of us should be able to come into the house of God, pray and fast and dream for what God wants to do. Psalm 84. This is what happens when you pray. This is a person that has been in the presence of God. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Well, I don't think Pastor Bob would allow a sparrow in his church. But in the time of that time, and when I look at Africa, sparrows can get into the house of God real easy. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. You know, it's, hard for, it's easy for me to think about being a pilgrim because I have been a foreigner in two countries for over 30 years of my life. I'm always reminded that I'm a foreigner. I go into the market, I'm a foreigner. I stop at a checkpoint, I'm a foreigner. In America, it's harder for you to imagine that you are foreigners. But you are. This culture is foreign to you. Everything that you have is you're just passing through. You're a pilgrim. Even though this is your native land, you were born here, you were raised here, you live here, spent your whole life here, you are a foreigner. You are a pilgrim. Remember that. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, and I looked that up, and it's, a, it's through, it's the valley of weeping is the name of Baca. And I want to say something. In your life, whether it be young or old, you will Pass through 
a valley of weeping. Some way, somehow, God has allowed people to have free will. And sometimes people make decisions and you get hurt because they make poor decisions and it will cause you to weep. You won't understand why. You will think, why didn't God protect me? Why am I hurt? Why am I going through this? But you will go through a valley of weeping. Eight years ago, my best friend was murdered. And I went through a valley. But I, as I went into that valley, the thing that saved me was I said to God, this time, I'm not going to ask why. I'm just going to be like a weaned child sitting in his mother's lap. And that grief that I thought would destroy me, I never really experienced it. So that's my advice to you today. When you go through your valley of weeping, and it will come, you don't have to know why. You can just say, God, you're in charge. I trust you. You are good. That was the thing that helped me. I don't need to know why. And God, you are good. And put that into your spirit, into your foundational part of you. And God will heal you and make you be able to do things that you did not think that you could do. And you will find that it will become a place of springs. Autumn rains cover it with pools. And you will go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. In verse 8, Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And if we really believe that, we would leave the golf course and flock into the house of God, wanting to be one day in the house of our God. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Would I be a simple servant rather than to be powerful in the tents of the wicked? For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Pretty cool. 
I want us to go to uh, Acts 12. Again, I want to encourage us in prayer. You know, I didn't even look at the time. When am I supposed to stop? Uh, my thought about this chapter is expect persecution and miracles. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Not good news. This man was important in the house of God. He was put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with the approval of the Jews, and that's kind of a funny word because the whole church was Jewish at this time. So it was the Jews outside the church persecuting the Jews inside the church. He proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four, four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Think of it, 16 men guarding one. That's a lot of people. And as we will see later on, that if they failed in their mission, they were going to be put to death. So they were quite serious to make sure that nothing happened to this man. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. That is where his history changed. The, the church was earnestly praying for him. And who does that include? It includes all those that are born again. It includes, it can include you. You can change your world today. Just as this church changed the direction of history by praying earnestly. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, 
She was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting, it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. It's funny. They were earnestly praying for a miracle. God did the miracle, and they were astonished. We often are like that. We pray for miracles, and maybe they had in their mind how they wanted God to answer this miracle, and they weren't expecting this to go this way. They were maybe directing God in their prayers, as we often do. We want you to do this, this way, and then when he does it some other way, we are astounded and astonished. Uh, I want to give you an idea of what you can do to change history. I have a friend, a pastor, who is a man of prayer, a general. He knows how to ask God. He will often, during the times that I have known him, I've known him for 30-some years. I have known him to spend at least three different times where he said, I'm going to spend a month in prayer. Um, So during that time, he will leave his house and he will go to the church and he will pray every day, all day long. And maybe an hour a day, he will go home, take a shower, eat, and then come back. He does it for 30 days. And people that come, he says, if you want to come by and pray, I'll pray with you. So he gets lots of people that come during that 30 days. It's the coolest thing. So uh, one day, a couple of years ago, he was invited to speak at a place called the Gold Camps. And the Gold Camps are a place in Liberia where there is gold fairly near the surface. And so people dig big holes and they sift through the dirt and they find nuggets and bits of gold. They do this all day long with shovels, going through gravel and it's a lot of work. And it's very remote. It is very hard to get to. But a lot of people go there because, you know, gold fever. So um, he went there to preach. And when he came into town, there was a lady that had been in labor for over 20 hours. And uh, the clinic, as if you would call it clinic, was a room with a fairly unknowledgeable midwife. No oxygen, no C-sections, there's no heart monitors. There is a bare room with a place to lay down, and that's it. So this lady had been in labor for all this time. And the whole city or village, it's a large village, maybe 500 to 1,000 people, knew that she was there. 
And the longer she stayed there, the more hopeless it looked. So Julius arrived in the evening. He was going to hold a service. But he knew, they, as soon as he came into town, they said, Pastor, you've got to come pray for this lady. So he went there, and he prayed with her. He said, cover up, I'll come in, I'll pray with her. So he prayed with her, and he felt God said, it's done. So he said, okay, I'm going back to my room. Fifteen minutes later, the baby was born. You can change your world. You can change the direction of this country because you can legislate morality, but it won't change a heart. You can make it illegal to do something, but it doesn't mean that those that are, that doesn't mean that people don't want to do it. That's why we need something bigger than politics. You cannot legislate where we want to go. There has to be a spiritual change. And you are living in a country that is hardened against God. But God can move. Because when people are hurting, God can move. So I have a few things that I want to say about uh, this prayer journey that I want you to start walking on. My friend uh, Julius, who is always the great man of prayer in my life, he goes to bed very early in the evening and he gets up about midnight and he prays from one to four, uh, from 12 to 4 every night. Because he says, that's the hours of darkness when the demons most often work. So I've been here a couple of days and I often read the internet. A lot of what happens evil in Chicago or Recently, I think it was in Alabama. It happens between one and four. Pretty amazing. There's a lot of stuff that goes on all day long, but the hours when the demons are most free, according to him, is evening. I would encourage you, if you have the ability, set your alarm to wake you up. And pray for 15 minutes, sometimes during those dark hours. Pray for 15 minutes. Look for a prayer partner or a group of people and call each other or buzz each other. And wake up and pray at the same time. Same 15 minutes, same half hour, whatever it is. I think one of the things that we need to pray for in this day and age is discernment. There are people that are mentally imbalanced. There are also people that are demonically oppressed. 
possessed. Americans don't like to hear of it, but when you read the Bible, there's a lot of demon activity that Jesus dealt with. And in Africa, where we're at, there's a lot of people that get directly involved in demon activity. We need discernment. The other thing is, when you pray, don't just pray thinking nothing's going to happen. Pray expecting miracles because you are speaking to the creator of the universe. And he is waiting for you to have faith to approach him in faith. He wants to do miracles through you. Instead of it being the last resort, pray first resort for your sick friends, for those that are going through hard times, in person, alone in your prayer closet. And if God gives you a gift, and some of you will receive gifts, some of you will receive prophetic gifts, some of you will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. Don't sell it. Don't make it something that will benefit you. Don't sell your gift. It's a gift. You got it freely, give it away freely. I know that something will happen in this church. So that's why uh, I've come here today because I know that God wants to do something through you. And my last thing that I want to say is uh, found in Revelation. Uh, Revelation 5. And uh, it's, you will re- some of you are going to join this Bible study, life group, right? Is that it, Pastor? Life group, you're going to go through Revelation. So um, I'm going to cheat and get you ahead. I'm going to read uh, 6 through 8. Then I saw a lamb, that's Jesus, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Uh, We are going to see this. Those of you that are born again, we will see this. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Your prayers smell good to God. So as you're praying, think of that. Remember that God wants sweet-smelling prayers. May you not sleep while you're praying. 
may God use you to create a sweet-smelling prayer before him, an offering of worship, an offering of sacrifice. God bless you. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be here among you. Amen. I'm told to wait. Pray? Okay, that's a good idea. (laughs) Father, I thank you for the privilege to uh, bring your word. It is a sweet-smelling word today, Lord, as we read through your word, as we reflect on what you want to do in this church among your people. Lord, you are a great counselor. You are the healer. You are the psychologist. You are the one that can make things right. Lord, our world is crazy. Lord, help us to pray that your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the faith to believe for miracles, the extraordinary, the not normal. Oh, Lord God, bless your people. May they turn and believe that you want to use them. Father, help them to grab your hand. Help them to create incense. Help them, O Lord, to believe that their world can change if they seek you. Lord, you are good. You are good. You are good. Great privilege it is for us to be partners with you in changing our world. Amen.